0: Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the Dispatch Podcast, the official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust. It's your host, Joseph Ricky, And today we've actually got a pretty uh, different topic coming out of our normal realm of subjects. You know, we've talked about the houses, we've talked about the families, we've talked about the battle, we've talked about pre-war politics. Today we're going to turn our attention uh, to the domestic slave trade. So this is a topic that uh, was brought to us by one of our newest additions to the staff who will meet here in just a few minutes, Nevertheless, I think it's appropriate that we give some sort of a historical synopsis. So since slavery had arrived on the coast of the United States back in 1619, it had been part of the transatlantic slave trade. So this is almost a worldwide phenomenon of which slaves are taken from Africa and brought to uh, the Americas or brought to Europe. And so as part of that, by 1808, the United States abolishes the slave trade. And so then it becomes an almost entirely organic domestic slave trade. And to talk a little bit more about that, we have brought in our assistant curator. Her name is Bailey Lawrence. She's one of the newest editions of the Battle Franklin Trust team. Bailey, welcome to the dispatch. Thank you. And what are we, how are we going to tackle this, I think, very large, very robust subject?
1: I mean, break it down. Talk about the relationship between capitalism and slavery, specifically American capitalism and specifically American slavery.
0: I think that is a excellent starting point. So, what is in your opinion the easiest way to define the American domestic slave trade?
1: Well, you know, it takes a different it takes a different approach rather than the Atlantic slave trade as you've already kind of discussed. Rather than importing enslaved people from the continent of Africa to the Americas, it becomes basically a breeding ground for human beings so rather than this shipment of people from another continent like it becomes this whole entire system like this it becomes a basically a brand new form of enslaved trading
0: and so the major difference then is that the transatlantic slave trade brought people in kidnapped them essentially from yes. africa and then here it becomes going to a slave auction in a county seat and purchasing a man and a woman, and then having them produce stock in terms of in terms of human specifically
1: beings. purchasing them for for women for mm-hmm. their fertility, mm-hmm. and for men for their physical qualities. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and by this point in time, we're looking into the 1820s, and already mm-hmm. slavery had slavery had been there since the very beginning. It had mm-hmm. been there during the founding, but it had soaked into just about every single fiber of. American society. And when I saw that in your outline, Mm -hmm. I said, you took my tour and remembered one (laughs) thing that I said. Uh, But that it's true. I mean, it had soaked through everything. It Mm -hmm. was in everything, churches, schools. It was in uh, literature and music. It was everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it was also in day-to-day business transactions, which is where I think the strong part of our conversation is about capitalism. So could you tell me just a little bit about how the slave society and how a capitalist society were able to, I don't know, I guess, measure up with one another.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, we had already started a foundation of a capitalistic society, whatever, like the founding. Mm-hmm. Think about that. So we've started with that basis. And then whenever the domestic slave trade comes in after 1808, and that really starts to grow and become more popularized and like that foundation of slavery here in america it just continues to feed off of each other
0: so in the shift then from the transatlantic slave trade to the domestic slave trade naturally Mm -hmm. there are things that are going to look very different so could you describe maybe for our listeners what that change looks like uh how is it seen in everyday life you know we've talked about how slavery is involved in everything but Mm -hmm. how does it show itself in society
1: okay well starting with, I mean, we cut off the foreign policy with the transatlantic the transatlantic slave trade um, immediately. You know, that foreign policy is cut off, and now it becomes all domestic policy. So it's, like you said, soaked into all of our, you know, everyday life, our politics, specifically, you know, the way that we run businesses. And this is mm-hmm. specifically has become a business, and specifically a business that sells human flesh. And so... Um,
0: and this is something that people every day can yeah. see in, and well, at least in county seats certainly, mm-hmm. uh, is the erection of auction houses and stables, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, trading blocks, the whole nine, become exactly a much more common theme after, post-1808, than they were mm-hmm. certainly beforehand.
1: And more people become involved, so mm-hmm. specifically women. So if we focus on, you know, the women in every family that own slaves, you know, Men were able to own land. Women were able to own um, human property.
0: Despite not being able to own land.
1: Despite, yes, and not also having the right to vote at that time. And we're specifically talking about white women. We could also be talking about lower class, both white men and women.
0: And the reasoning behind that is that it would give some form of material wealth to a woman. It would give her her own economic mobility.
1: Exactly, yes. And so if you think about it, slavery at this point now transitions to more of a status symbol as well. Mm -hmm. So when you think about yeoman farmers who also own at least one or two enslaved people, it becomes a status symbol of how wealthy they are. And it continues to feed into this ideal idea of a capitalistic society and Mm -hmm. how that feeds rather into, again, the domestic slave trade.
0: So it's interesting as you bring up women into this so mm-hmm. here at Carton, there's a story that is is told uh, on several tours about van perkins winder carrie McGavick's father coming here and, and deeding to her by the end of one day for african slaves and on the memo line he says something to the effect of i give this gift to my daughter and my mm-hmm. love and affection but What he's really doing is he's giving Carrie independent wealth from John McGavick, from her husband, is that when she becomes the owner of these four people, Mm -hmm. if the average rate in 1860 for an African male is $1,000, she's got quite a, a, a wealthy, I guess, estimate there between these four individuals. And it sounds so bizarre and so morbid to say it that way, but that is part of this every single day decision-making that Van Weiner could have made because that is, it is, as we were just discussing, the capitalist society that he exists in. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's the world that Carrie was brought up in.
0: And very much, very much the world that John will inherit from his father. So this is a generation that comes in right there after the founding there. Mm -hmm. You've got the founding generation, then you've got that immediate period right behind them. But then by 18, 18 you know, 10, 18, 20, there's this next generation that's starting Mm -hmm. and they're inheriting a lot of the policy and a lot of the societal norms Mm -hmm. from the founding generation and from the immediate generation thereafter. It's always interesting to try and line up the family in that way, because you can see how the nation is pushing itself Mm -hmm. further and further away from the ideas of the founding and closer to the ideas that will eventually rip the country apart by 1860 regarding the expansion of slavery but as far as we we can run down that rabbit hole all day long but what i think is really interesting to bring about is how you would imagine and i, I think that this was the intent behind abolishing the transatlantic slave trade was thinking that slavery would sort of die out it would naturally go away but then it seems to just explode across the country. So, how about we talk a little bit about that?
1: Exactly. That I mean, that explosion just continues and feeds itself off of this plantation agriculture model, especially when we get the cotton gin.
0: Mm-hmm. Another thing that people will always argue: Oh, well, the exactly. cotton gin would have made it uh, made slavery obsolete in the course of years. But but we go from a slave being able to produce fifty pounds of cotton a day to five hundred pounds of cotton a day. Exactly. You can't tell me that. It You're becomes, not going to see that and go dollar signs. Yeah. 500? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Buy more slaves, plant more cotton. Mm-hmm. And so it, becomes, it continues to grow.
1: Yeah, it becomes continually like more valuable to have enslaved labor mm-hmm. for plantation agriculture. Again, feeding into that capitalistic society that's building during this time. And so the wealth is continuing to build.
0: And that is another portion of the domestic slave trade then is to see the Benefit, I guess, the success then of the cotton gin and of that expanded labor uh, production. Mm -hmm. And then that takes us to an auction box. So we see a lot of economic growth out Mm -hmm. of that switch then. So what, in terms of everyday features about slavery and about the slave trade, are visible? And how do they change throughout that period?
1: So the growth of you know, these centers where enslaved people are being traded and sold are continuing to grow across the country. There's more that are popping up in smaller cities across the country, just like Franklin. Mm-hmm. So it's not te- technically a ginormous city at this point. Nashville's that ginormous city. And mm-hmm. there's lots of trading going on there as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And yet as the county seat, it's a pretty large town anyways.
1: Exactly. And then when you get down to let's say Murray County, you've got Columbia and then you've got spring Hill, still stuff happening there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's continuing to spread across the landscape and create these these areas where slavery is existing in front of everybody. It touches everybody. Even if you don't own slaves, if you walk through town, you see a
0: slave. And businesses are involved in the slave trade as well. Exactly. How so? Let's
1: just think about insurance co- insurance companies. Most of your insurance companies that start in the transatlantic slave trade are from Britain, mm-hmm. and they're insuring you know, human chattel in that crossing from Africa to the Americas. Now, it's specifically American insurance policy, uh, in, uh, American insurance companies that are insuring human chattel. So, a lot of the insurance companies that we have now got their start insuring companies.
0: And that's going over state lines. As exactly, going over state ocean.
1: lines, going across, of course, you know, around the around Florida and up the coast.
0: Right. So there is a business behind it, and we (laughs) see that in the way that you could have a farmer, maybe he has 75 slaves on his property, Mm -hmm. and then it's a high peak season for harvest, and so he could go then to a school or to a church or to a bank or to another business or even to a slave trader Mm -hmm. and actually put together a rental agreement. And so if he has 75 slaves on the property, he could rent another 25 and have 100. And so it boosts his labor Mm -hmm. capacity on the farm. And so then all of a sudden the production levels could rise up too. So there is an aspect then of essentially being able to rent out your own labor. So if even if you are the person that has 75 slaves and your neighbor has 25 and needs 30 to complete a task, they could then rent from you. So there's always money to be made at the end of it. But then that also brings us right back to to an auction block. And so that is, I think, the very real aspect of the slave trade because we talk about it, we talk about policy, we talk about slave trading, but we don't think for a moment about the people that are being moved in that and the total loss of humanity in that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so there is that very real, I think, insidious moment where it becomes a debate over what people's actual value is, and that is all tied right back to the slave trade itself. It it becomes this economic endeavor, and it's all to make money at the end of the day. By 1860, it is the number one staple of the United States is what's being produced through slave labor.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly, and that's what's continuing to hinge everything that... Is growing our economy during, like in America during that time, is through slave labor, is through these auctions, is through anything that their hands produce. And I think some people, like you were talking about, with what's going on behind the mind of the man that's standing on the auction block that day, you have to think about families that are being separated during that time mm-hmm. too, and the mental toll that it takes on women, children, and men.
0: So, one of the, the points that you just brought up is about this, about the families being split up. And there's an article that came out just about a week or two ago in The Economist. And one of the sources used is uh, Jenny K. Williams and her website, Slave Voyages, which talks about exactly that. But the focus of the article was not about the transatlantic slave trade or about the land based slave trade, it was about the maritime slave trade the maritime domestic slave trade, meaning that cities like Charleston were taking men and women from their port cities coming down the Atlantic seaboard and up into the Gulf of Mexico and going to New Orleans. And I I believe that she did a sample of 20,000 people and found that 88% of them belonged to a family that was split up or that in that voyage, their family was split up between Charleston, Columbia and New Orleans. And then from New Orleans... The 88% kicks in. That's people that are just being traded out from the moment that they arrive in the city. So that is certainly a part of that story as well, is how these families are broken apart and how the domestic slave trade just destroys these family units.
1: And that's exactly how they dehumanize this. I think that's what makes it so successful, as icky as that sounds, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is because they're able to dehumanize it, continue to focus only on the profit, and see what it gets them.
0: And then by the 1850s and 1860s, we see it everywhere. We see the continued expansion of slavery and even Mm -hmm. further west into the threat into the Western territories, which, of course, we'll see in 1860 uh, the secession of southern states following Abraham Lincoln and the Republican Party's election, their platform saying they won't allow the expansion of slavery any further west, and that will lead us into four years of war four years costing the lives of 750,000 men, the assassination of president. At the end of all of it, 4 million people are freed. But we talk about all of those numbers on tour, but the one that we sometimes forget or maybe uh, falls unmentioned to a lot of people is that in the transatlantic slave trade, there's anywhere between 8 to 10 million people that die. Mm -hmm. And then we fight this incredibly awful, heinous war for four years, 750,000 men's lives are laid down so that the institution would be ended and that the nation could attempt then to live up to the founding. And I think that that's a pretty good place to end our discussion. But as usual, we can't do that on The Dispatch without talking about a couple of books that you can shop online uh, and pick up here at our bookstore. So if you go on our website, you'll find several books. Bailey, do you want to tell us about any of the uh, books that we've got here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's... Two great ones about women specifically during the domestic slave trade. Um, The first one is by Stephanie Jones Rogers. It's called They Were Her Property, specifically detailing white women and their involvement within the domestic slave trade and also being able to find their own autonomy with the domestic slave trade. Um, And then All That She Carried by Tia Miles um, tells the other side of that story. It talks about an enslaved woman and her daughter that are being sold off is specifically tied back to this uh, family heirloom. This artifact it was a pillowcase or a feed sack. Um, they don't quite know, but she creates this narrative um, about this family that's being split up, specifically a mother and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very touching and moving to see how it, it humanizes the domestic slave trade.
0: And then the other two, of course, are capitalism and slavery and then uh, the Half Never Told, which is by Roberta Baptiste, which is, I think, one of the most intense studies of the economy behind slavery. Mm-hmm. It's not a book that you can just sit there and read, we'll say, for fun, mm-hmm. because it's It's very dry. It's an economic history, and economic historians tend to be a bit bland. I think. <laughs> and that's how, <laughs>
1: that's how capitalism and slavery is as well. It's by Eric Williams, and he specifically breaks down and talks about how the transatlantic slave trade creates this foundation for the relationship between capitalism and slavery. Mm. Pretty much initially, he points it all to slavery creating capitalism within America. Mm-hmm. So,
0: And all of these are great recommendations. They have our seal of approval here from the Dispatch podcast, which don't know if that means much to anybody <laughs> else out there. But we like to think that it does. So just in the last few moments here we want to thank you for listening today and thank you for listening to the dispatch continuing to support the battle of franklin trust uh by downloading you're helping to continue our our mission to educate preserve and understand uh people forever impacted by the american civil war so bailey want to thank you for coming on today i want to thank you for taking time out of your busy morning to come and hang out here in the dispatch headquarters and we will see you all on the battlefields